Jubilant Detroit fans, excited to fever pitch by the tense dramatic struggle, flood out onto the ice in mad confusion. The Stanley Cup, now the Red Wings for the sixth time. Miss Marge Norris, Red Wing president, her brother Bruce and manager Jack Adams come out to receive the cup. Miss Norris is the first woman to get her name on the Stanley Cup. Welcome to Winging It in Motown Radio. I'm somewhat of your host tonight, Jeff Hancock. I am somewhat in the building, somewhat out of it. But I'm also here, and we're going to talk some Red Wings hockey with JJ and Graham and Joseph. <laughs> Kyle there. <laughs> but it's definitely not Kyle. It's Joseph. <laughs> How the hell are you well, doing tonight? Well, thank Today, you, tonight, you whenever you're listening to this, how better. are you doing in this internal world that we live in? I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm too. It was a good sports day today. Well, I know the Cubs won as of the time of recording this, but JJ says he's doing well, and the 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 Royals came back and won. Fuck them, but they came back and won. And then Joseph, oh, yeah. did your team win? I don't know who your team is. My you're team in, is you're in Anaheim, so the Angels aren't even in it. You like the Yankees? Yeah, that's oh, weird. that's new. But also, <laughs> fuck that. And but let's talk about how you guys are doing really quick because. You said good, but like, how are you really doing, guys? You, how you, how you feeling right now? Best day ever. Greatest day ever. Yeah. Uh, he says that every podcast. Yeah. I've been doing it to make up for for Jeff's absence because that's that's his thing. Well, I mean, it's like a verbal thumbs up because I'm doing a thumbs up right now, but no one can actually see it, so we have to verbalize it, <laughs> so it's, people can feel the emotion. We should do a video podcast at some point. A vidcast is that a new thing? Did we just invent that? I don't know. Uh, should patent pending, uh, but. Put on a shirt. No thanks. But uh, I know the last time I saw you guys, and by you guys I just mean JJ and Graham, not you, Joseph. Sorry, but you guys were drunk at yeah. my wedding. Yes. Joseph was chilling in Anaheim with the Ducks and gets left. But we're all—that's neither here nor there because right now we're here podcasting. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know about you, but I listened to the last podcast and I said this off air, and you guys. You guys started with, like, goaltending and shit. And I was listening because I wasn't a part of it because I was in, like, Mexico or something or getting married and I wasn't around. And you, you didn't talk about Dylan Larkin making the team right away. And I was like, fuck that shit. You buried the lead. <laughs> We're not burying the lead tonight, boys. We're talking about Dylan Larkin. So let's whip it out. Let's talk about this 19-year-old kid who is just the best fucking thing that's happened since, like, sliced bread because he's been fantastic. So, JJ, I'm starting with you. Let me know what your thoughts are on Dylan Larkin. Um, I think that he is uh, extremely uh, just good. I think he's better than any of the other rookies out there. Uh, really good shot at winning the Calder. He still makes his line mates better in ways that you don't see from a lot of players. Like um, he's moving up the ranking as far as like which line mates he improves on because i saw him you know he makes ablocator play better that's that's one yeah hat trick um started the first start of the week he looks like uh i don't know how much is this dylan lark and how much is early season but zetterberg was really energized and then he got moved down the line and that line against carolina that line scored two goals right off the bat so um yeah he just the puck just follows him around he is all over the place everywhere uh he makes our smoke detector uh really happy it's <laughs> one way to Sorry, it just went off again. So, huh. no idea what that is, by the way, folks. Just deal with it. 
Graham? Um, I said after the third goal against Carolina, I was um, high-fiving myself because uh, my wife wasn't really interested in high-fiving me in that moment. And I looked at her and I said, my next jersey's a Larkin jersey. I just need to know if he's sticking with 71 or if he's going to uh, go to something else. According and then to I my said, sources, that's locked in for like at least the year. So See, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll just get a 71. And then if he changes numbers, I'll just get a second one because that is how much I think I'm going to love him. Um, I mean, the first six goals of the season, he was on the ice for, and uh, I think, right? It was in the first six. He was involved in uh, maybe the five of the first spring, six because he was first, on yeah. the power play goal, right? So it's like JJ said. I mean, it just his when when they changed the lines against Carolina, and that line got two goals, and he was involved in the play. It was like this. He's he's special. I I have not been this excited for a Red Wing prospect in I I couldn't even tell you. I mean, like none of the recent ones have generated the type of feelings that I get when I watch Larkin. Well, and and you say that, but it's like even when he doesn't get the assist or he doesn't get on the stat sheet. I think it was Petrella that tweeted on Abdelkader's third goal. I mean, it was that two-on-one situation where the defenseman because of what Larkin had done had to respect Larkin and it gave Abdelkader the the open lane to take the shot and it eventually scored the goal and I think it was the, the one of the Polkanen goals the other night like they were digging in the corner and because he's there he just creates havoc and then the puck squared it out and then Polkanen was there in the slot to score the goal is just even when he's not showing up on the stat sheet he's showing up in the game mm-hmm. right Joseph yeah I mean there's really only so many ways that you can praise Dylan Larkin's play I mean you know it's been said that Many unicorns have gotten their horns when he was declared to be on the roster, on the 23-man roster, when the Red Wings had to finally cut that down. Um, I also I believe, got <laughs> uh, I believe that uh, many kittens were also uh, born when Larkin scored his first NHL goal on Friday in Detroit in front of a packed Joe Louis Arena crowd in front of his parents. And the third goal of the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs against former head coach Mike Babcock. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he's I, I, we're through, we're two games into the season and I already want to say that he may be that one of the missing pieces that makes this team an, a legitimate contender. Like obviously, even without him you would still uh put the Red Wings in the playoffs because we have the goaltending and we have the forward depth for it, but you know, we could actually legitimately expect to make some noise by the time april comes around and he doesn't hit a rookie wall or anything we're we're banking on that as well i mean it is let's just remember it is just two games and it's been two fantastic games from larkin two wins while the second game they got out shot like bitches and it sucked and they probably shouldn't have won that game but they did which is a positive but but we're we're just focusing on Larkin. It just he he just adds that dynamic that we've been clamoring for 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 how long have we been like play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, and they're taking a kid who's legitimately a kid at the moment, and he is just taking the bull by the nutsack, and he's just grabbing it, and he's like fuck y'all, I'm here to stay. I'm not really that worried about him hitting a rookie wall. I'm kind of like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for that to happen. But it just feels like this is a good situation for him to be in for that to happen. He is a coach that is pretty aware of what his skill sets are. And so if and probably when he does hit that rookie wall, 
he will be put in a position where it probably won't last as long as it otherwise probably would have. And once you get some of the injured players back, like once you get Dotsuit back, once you get maybe even Helm back, but then I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the top six when Helm comes back. But, you know, when you get a guy like Dotsuit back, you can afford to shelter Larkin more if he's going through a rough patch. Well, and, and, Uh, you know, I mean, well, the fact that he's he's playing on the top line is going to make a huge difference. I mean, if he were playing in the fourth line and getting the goals and then because he he is going to hit a slump at some point. I mean, it's it happens with every single player every single year, except for the absolute elite elite. And even them, they go through slumps. So he's going to get it. It's the question of of, um, how is he going to look? If he's not scoring, for example, and through two games, small sample size, you know, being understood here, he has looked good. He doesn't look out of place playing against NHL players, even if it's against Toronto and and Carolina, whatever. Um, So if he goes through some sort of scoring slump, even over the next couple of games, if he's playing up with Abdelkader and Zetterberg, he's going to still get opportunities to be involved offensively, which should snap him out of the slump if he does get into one where he's not actually getting any points. Plus, I don't think the kid's got it in him to, uh, like, I haven't seen his confidence waver at all. When they were in the, uh, the the world championships and he was playing on that, like, real checking line and uh, he didn't get good offensive numbers. I think he had one assist in the entire tournament and got, like, frustrated with a lot of the, the missed chances. It didn't appear to affect his motor at all during the entire time. He just keeps working. He works hard every shift. Um, so... I think even when it is a slump, it's not going to completely uh, decimate his play. I think he's not going to disappear even when things aren't going his way, and that's that's huge. Well, and I think it just it speaks volumes that, and this isn't like shit on Mike Babcock take shots at Mike Babcock hour, but A, Mike Dylan Larkin probably isn't on this team if Mike Babcock is still here, and B, if he is, he's probably earning his ice time on the fourth line and like being buried and playing a checking role and learning how to play that game where I feel confident enough even through two games after the preseason everything that Jeff Blaschel who coached Larkin very briefly in the AHL and put him in a prominent role there last year in the playoffs is going to 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 keep him in that toxic role even when Helm gets back as we saw in practice on on what is it Monday that Helm was skating on that fourth line which when we roster bait all the time in our group chats Helm's on that fourth line like that's where Helm should be and we always theorize maybe Abdulkader should move down if he keeps scoring maybe not but but you keep in Larkin in that top six role that's who comes back you can still keep Larkin in that top six role you can move someone else down whether it's Richards or whomever Abdulkader whomever you even move Nyquist or to Tatar I would probably prefer Nyquist down to the third line it, it, it just deepens your roster and you keep Larkin in that role to the point where if he does slump or he does struggle a little bit you shelter him with a guy like Zetterberg you shelter him with a guy like Datsuk and you keep the the prominent stars there where where he can still produce or be productive in a way even when if he doesn't show up on the score sheet because he's got those veterans there bringing him along in that top role yes beautiful indeed but can we really just can we just once again just talk about how fucking awesome it is having a 19 year old kid just fucking like fucking shit up and being awesome because we we kind of we can laugh about it and we can be silly and joke about it but this is something we've talked about for the last three four years like whether it was nyquist or tatar at the time or yurko or whomever the fuck it was mantha 
like bring the kids up. They can do it. They can do it. And then you actually see a kid getting a shot and he's actually performing at least so far through two games. And it's just, I, I'm elated and I'm very happy and excited. And I heard the ratings were really good for opening night on Fox Sports Detroit and Fox two. So it fucking proves it. So yeah, it's kind of a, a double edged consideration there because we have one of the, the kids up for a while. Um, because I mean, with with Nyquist when we wanted him up, he was not nineteen. He right. was barely a, a kid there. Um, so it's kind of the the growing frustration with the the club and with Mike Babcock not wanting to give the kids a chance. Uh, but also, we haven't had a kid this dynamic um, <laughs> in a in a very long time. Like I'm happy that that Mantha really looked good this year in preseason. But even then, if I had to pick one or the other. I'd pick Larkin. Um, Athanasiu led the team in scoring in the preseason, and if I had to pick one or the other, I'm glad that it was Larkin and not Athanasiu, even though uh, Athanasiu is, is 21 years old. He's uh, he's supposed to be more ready, but I, the, the kid's got it. It almost pisses me off that a 19-year-old can be like that, but whatever, we got him. <laughs> yeah, fuck everybody else in the NHL. <laughs> Let's 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 redraft. What is it? What, what, what fucking year was it? Twenty fourteen. He was the first round pick. No. Yeah. Yeah. Number fifteen yep. overall. Yeah. Let's redraft that. He probably goes top five. So we win, bitches. You guys still want to talk about Larkin, or you want to move on? <laughs> we should probably move on. All right. So we did mention briefly that Helm did practice on Monday. He was on that fourth line with uh, what was it? it was Glenn Denning and Miller, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's meaning that Ferraro is now a scratch, and we've had Anderson as a scratch, and we've had Yurko as a scratch. And if he's coming back, something has to happen. And in that regard, it's either Anderson getting waived, which, like, fuck it. Anderson's going to get waived. No one's going to pick him up, or someone's going to pick him up, and he's replaceable. Or B, you send Marchenko down. You go with six defensemen for the time being while you're home, and you got this little stretch here before you go on the road. And try to trade someone. I mean, what what are your thoughts as just far as a roster standpoint? Is it, it's? I'm pretty sure we're all in in agreement that it's just like Anderson gets waived. But the, the if if that's not the case and Marchenko goes down for a paper transaction and they try to trade someone, do you think they could actually Holland can actually fucking pull something off and and get like a fucking sixth round pick for Yoko Anderson from some dumb team? Probably not. I think that's yeah. what's going to happen for Tuesday since. They didn't have anybody on waivers for today, if Helm is even cleared. And I honestly don't see like what the big rush is right now, other than, yeah, I think Helm makes the fourth line better. Um, but if he's not entirely 100%, then I'd just say give him another week and, and tell him come back when you're, when you're super healthy. If he's ready to play against Tampa, then I think they send Marchenko down to make space. And then as the week goes on, before we get to Friday, we see Anderson hit waivers. Eventually. Um, I mean, before Friday, they're not going to carry 60 men on the roster into the weekend, having to play Carolina on Friday and then Montreal on Saturday, especially with the Griffins having two games uh, also on Friday and Saturday. So I, th- I think that he will be looking to try to make a trade this week. I just I don't remember the last time Ken Holland made a trade in October. So I I believe one that actually happens when I see it. Um, I know there are teams looking for defensive help. Um Specifically, Chicago is rumored to be in in it, but that's not going to help us any. Um, I mean, it would help us in the short run, but we can't dump salary on Chicago. They don't have space for that. Uh, Carolina just lost James Wisniewski. I was talking with with Caleb in the chat earlier today about this, and I think that that would be a good trade partner, especially to dump uh, Kyle Quincy right now because it's – it sure is a gamble because we don't have DeKaiser back yet, and we're not going to have him back until, like, 
closer to the end of October. And moving Quincy off the roster sooner probably makes them a little bit worse in the short run. Um, but Carolina just lost Wisniewski. They could trade for Quincy, play him, and then basically trade him to a contender at the deadline because I'm sure around the deadline there's going to be some GM willing to spend a first rounder on Kyle Quincy. Um, Can I? That, yeah. And that helps not only with the roster log jam, although it doesn't help with the forward issue, but I honestly don't I mean, you, you wave Anderson, you wave Ferraro, um, you can wave Drew Miller for, even though I, I don't want that to happen, I'm getting closer to thinking that it needs to happen. Um, and so you just take care of that stuff. I think that would make the most sense. As far as needing forward spots, yeah, Anderson goes on waivers and Ferraro goes on waivers. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure that a forward gets traded at all. Yeah, it's not really a matter yeah. of what move in particular is done to if Helm is able if Helm is cleared and Helm is able to return. It's not really a matter of what roster move gets done. I just think there's about a thousand different ways that this could go, and none of them will have any huge impact on the Red Wings or on the NHL. Ken Holland is smart enough to not do something dumb like send Larkin down, uh, but. You know, you could also like you also mentioned that you could send Marchenko down as a paper transaction. It's really not that difficult an issue to solve. It's just a matter of which one is Ken Holland going to do. Honestly, I really think I know this isn't the send everybody through waivers part of the preseason where everyone's trying to get roster compliant, but I still feel like just a couple games into the season, this is still that sort of area where no one is really in a position, especially since there aren't any major injuries yet, to grab a guy like an Anderson or a Ferraro or a Miller off of waivers. So I think I really think every I really think everyone that the Red Wings could decide to send on waivers will just will clear and will stay with the team. Well and let's be honest, and I think this was mentioned in the chat earlier in the day. You you wave a Ferraro or an Anderson or even a Miller, every team in the league has their version of those guys already on their roster. So I'm not too concerned about someone picking them off. Yeah, Elliot Friedman in his 30 thoughts, one of his he had a few that were about the Red Wings and one of them was that there was there seemed to be a lot of interest or I guess a lot of eyes on Detroit and what they were going to do with their waiver situation and roster situation once they get healthy. And I read that and thought, I guess I could see that because, you know, they, they might wonder, are they going to put a guy like Thomas Yurko who doesn't look like he's playing tomorrow, uh, tonight, if, you know, because we're doing this night before, but um, Yurko hasn't played yet. Ferraro, Ferraro is a weird one. Anderson would clear because, I mean, guys like Anderson are a dime a dozen. Ferraro is one that I, I could see him being claimed by somebody just because he's never played in the NHL. So maybe somebody might pick him up and, you know, if they've got an actual spot for him, give him a shot. But, I mean, it'd be a loss to the Red Wings because they have, you know, three or four more Ferraros down in, in Grand Rapids probably. But, um, yeah, like Helmbeck does nothing. You wave Anderson and that's and that's it. I They're not going to make a trade. I was actually looking while we were talking. The last trade of any note – the last trade that um, Holland made in October, full stop, was in 1998. He made two. He traded Mike Knubel to the Rangers for a second and third pick, and he picked up Brent Gilchrist for a sixth-round pick. And then he also picked up Doug Huda and got rid of Ryan Bach. It Bruins is a coach, That's, Doug Huda? Yeah, yeah. So 17 or uh, yeah, 17 years ago was the last time he made a trade in October. Now, to be fair, though, has, so. has he had a roster like we've had now 
to play with or a, a roster where he's been as lenient with bringing up kids and whatnot? Well, roster that he could play with, I mean, nineteen. the beginning of 1998 was a pretty darn good roster. Well, that sure, was the sure. Completely blew well, it I up, mean, but. Since, since then, between then and now. <laughs> Probably not since 08 when it was really tinkering. Now, I, you know, I, I will say if they, if, they, if they put Yurko on waivers and lost him, or even if they just – if they didn't, I would still be pissed that they even risked it. Like that's a move that I think is just – Blasphemy. Yurko would be claimed. I I would guarantee he would easily be claimed. Yurko would be claimed by multiple teams. Oh, like, yeah, like Arizona teams. or someone shitty. Somebody would pick him, him up. You know, heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yurko would never get through waivers. I mean, if they put him on waivers, we'll just say goodbye. The thing is, Thomas Yurko would probably actually have a trade market for him. I mean, he's a young, skilled forward. Um, He's not restricted free agency years. I mean, so you can still kind of control dollars. Um, you could absolutely trade him to an Arizona or one of those types of teams, a team that maybe is not looking to contend right away, but is looking to contend in the next couple of years um, and get something back for him. It wouldn't be enough for people. Um, that would be a guarantee. But We drafted him, what, the second round? So you got to get at least a second round pick back. Asset management, right? So exactly. I don't know that somebody would. I don't think somebody would give up a second round pick for Thomas Yurko in October. But I also don't see them waving. Yeah, it. I can't it wrap my sense. head around the concept of the Red Wings waving Thomas Yurko. It that doesn't make sense to me. When they waved Nestrosil, it's like, eh, maybe I don't know. I don't think he'll be picked up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I would be absolutely shocked and amazed if Thomas Yurko were to get put on waivers and clear them. Um, I just, yeah, I, I didn't even consider it earlier when talking about that. Anderson gets waived and he clears. Ferraro gets waived and I'm about 50-50 on there, though I do think that, I don't know, I made it down 51-49. I think, you're, I think uh, Ferraro probably does get claimed because he is, he's very rem- reminiscent of basically what Drew Miller was when the Red Wings picked him up on, on waivers. Um, young guy who can't like really stick, but he's a good two-way forward and he's he's still got some years on him and honestly that's kind of why i i hem and haw between wanting to wave Ferraro and wanting to wave miller because miller makes like twice as much and he's older but he is a better shot i mean he's a i think miller is a better overall player but i don't think it's that uh that big a difference i think it depends on uh, people like to think Ferraro is a better scorer i'm not sure about that um he probably is but it's not i don't know he hasn't scored that much at the nhl level The, the the reason why I think somebody like Ferraro might get claimed, whereas Anderson would never get claimed, is because Anderson now has an NHL track record. You know, teams have been able to scout him at the NHL level and see what he is, which is a fourth line forward who is replaceable. Whereas Ferraro, there's still that hint of maybe there's some untapped potential there that he could turn out to be. I, I don't think anybody's going to pick him up and throw him on a first line and be like, you know, you're the savior for our team. But somebody could pick him up and put him into a bottom six role as a depth forward who would be a little bit better than maybe they were expecting him to be kind of thing. Um, with Yurko, he's also got an NHL track record. I think most people would look at last year and look at his usage and go, what the fuck, fuck are you doing, Babcock? Like, seriously. Um, so that's why he would get picked up because, I mean, he's got throughout his entire career in junior and in the AHL, he's, he's been a scorer. So, I don't know. Ferraro, Miller... Anderson, none of those players are players that I would be absolutely crushed to see lost for nothing if they'd end up getting claimed. Because, I mean, that's yeah. the ultimate thing, right, is if you're if you're basically just giving players away, how much does it hurt 
to to do that. And there would be some people that still be upset because Holland gave up a player for free when he could have tried to trade him, which is garbage. Because why would a team trade for Miller? when there's a chance that they could just pick him up for nothing on waivers or Landon Ferraro or, yeah, you know, I, I, so, yeah. I could be wrong, but I find it hard to believe that any player ever hits the waiver wire without the GM having picked up the phone and saying, hey, do you want this guy first? Mm-hmm. So I just always kind of assume that if a guy goes on waivers that it's because the GM literally could not trade him. And I don't cry over guys on waivers because if you are truly exceptional in the NHL, you don't get put on waivers in the first place. Um, trying to think like who the best waiver pickup in the salary cap era is, and it literally might be Drew Miller. Wasn't UC Yokin in a, a waiver wire pickup by Pittsburgh? I think he cleared. Yeah, he cleared, and then they traded for him, which I thought was weird. Um, so at any rate, and yeah, I get the like the losing the guy for nothing, but you're not losing him for nothing. You're losing him for roster space, and with only 23 spots, uh, roster space is an asset, and it sucks. I mean, because you would you would rather trade him, you would rather get an asset, you'd rather get a conditional seventh round pick that's conditional on the guy winning the freaking Conn Smythe. Uh, that's better than losing a guy in waivers. But in the reality, when push comes to shove, if you have too many good players, that's a good thing. And right now we have Thomas Yurko, who should be in an NHL lineup, and he's not. And I can't think of a guy that I would definitely scratch in favor of him. Well, and the other side of the thing is if you wave Yurko and you lose him, Ken Holland's just going to trade back from him in like four or five years anyway and give up a first-round pick to get him. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of spitballing off the top of my head here when Datsuk's back and you've got Helm back I'm just trying to think who the healthy scratches I mean in theory Anderson's gone and Ferraro's gone right so so Miller in theory is a healthy scratch and and Yurko and Polkanen are like rotating in the lineup I mean again these lines aren't anything but you're thinking like Larkin Zetterberg Datsuk Abdelkader Richards Tatar Nyquist Sheehan Franzen Helm Glendening Polkanen, Yurko, and Miller, right? Like, that's your, those are your forwards? Am I missing anyone off the top of my head? Does splitting up Datsuk and Zetterberg affect the rest of the well, lineup? Well, I'm, I'm not talking scratch? so much like those are the lines. I guess I'm just talking those are your, your 14 guys. Like, ideally, that's what we're looking at is Miller's your, your normal, everyday, healthy scratch, and then you're rotating in Polkanen and Yurko, or, you, you know, you, if you're giving a Helm off or a Glendening off a night or Franz, and if they're struggling and you're just... I, I think the big discussion we've had recently is you don't need a fucking Dan Cleary, and we'll get to him in a moment, I'm sure, as, like, your, your resident Cleary cabana healthy scratch every single night. Like, why don't you do a rotation of two three maybe even four guys that you're rotating in and out of the lineup just based on who's got the hot hand or who's playing well or who's not like it doesn't have to be that designated 13 14th forward are always sitting out and they're only in if someone sucks like you know if Polkanen just scored two goals he sticks in the lineup but if he goes on a stretch where he sucks ass then we got to get Yurko in or if Helm sucks or he's a little banged up or Glendening or someone needs a night of rest like it's nice having that depth where you're rotating the guys right yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, injuries are going to happen as the year goes on. Um, and I would very much like to have it to where if we have to go to the, the 14th forward to put that guy in the lineup, I would like to be actually happy that he's going in the lineup, not lamenting that we're banged up enough forward forward number 14 to uh, to be playing. And I agree. I, I think that uh, the, the downside of the rotation with Yurko and Polk in an idea is that 
what happens there is you have you have to worry that guys that age, especially with with Yurko having talked about uh, trying to work on on his confidence and, and stuff, is that playing that rotation uh, can be a confidence killer. But I think that Jeff Blashill allays that a lot better. I think that as long as you uh, tell a 22 year old like Yurko that hey, this is the way it's going to be, you know, hey. You did a great job, but we're just going to give Polkin in this this next game. Uh, you can go a long way towards uh, actually using that to uh, to build up his confidence to a level where he can be the guy who does not fall out of the lineup, especially as injuries happen. Well, and, and even with that said, like fucking Zetterberg and Datsuk and Richards are old, right? Like every now and then you give Richards a, few, a night or two off, maybe, and and or you you know you give Shea in the night off, or you move Shea in over to the wing, and you give Franz in the night off, and you break up Pav and Z if, or put Larkin at center. Like there's just, I guess, basically what I'm trying to say is the flexibility of this roster. And the moving pieces of who you can put in, pull out, who can play center, who can play wing. It's just fucking fantastic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, shit, last year we were like, you know, two years ago we were saying, you know, hey, maybe Todd Bertuzzi won't be terrible and he can play second-line minutes. Hey, maybe Michael Samuelson is the Michael Samuelson no. we thought he was. No, he wasn't. Hey, maybe <laughs> maybe Jordan Tutu will surprise us and not take a shitload of penalties and score a goal or two. Like, those were conversations we actually had a few years ago. Yeah, we were sad people, huh? Yeah, it was a, it was a rough time. Dark times. Speaking of dark times, though, uh, Dan Cleary has found himself in some dark times in his life because he was waived and shockingly was not claimed by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, He was told to report to the Griffins. He said, suck it, and did like the whole DX thing to Ken Holland and the Red Wings, apparently. Uh, So he's going to retire? Like, what the fuck does this mean? And I'll start with you, JJ. I mean, weigh in. And and from a collective bargaining agreement standpoint, what is going on? What do we expect? What's, I don't know, just what, man? Fuck that guy. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this plays out. Um, And I also can't wait for it to be played out and so we can stop talking about the guy um but as as it is uh it's still a story and it's still worth talking about yeah apparently he told the red wings uh, the day that he cleared waivers that he wasn't going to report so that was last thursday but it ken holland didn't bother telling the press until friday so yeah that was a, a good way to spend like a, an hour of the opening day was was thinking about what dan what, what's going to happen when dan clary refuses to go down to, to grand rapids as far as the raw is concerned as far as the cap is concerned he is currently assigned to Grand Rapids um, I don't know that there's necessarily a a strict CBA timeline for him to report although Ken Holland says it's it, he's got a week um, if he refuses to report then he's got to retire I don't think that Dan Clary can just say, no, I'm not going to go to the Griffins and get away without being suspended. And I don't think Ken Holland can get away without suspending Dan Cleary. Now, he told reporters that whatever happens to his 950000 is between Dan Cleary and the Red Wings. That's not true. That's just a part of the Red Wings always say, we don't talk about contract details. That's none of your business. We don't ever discuss that. Uh, screw off. But the NHL is paying attention, believe me. And if it's, I think if it's a case where he just says, I'm not going to report and the Red Wings say, oh, we're not going to suspend you. We'll just keep paying you to be out in the ether doing whatever. I think the NHL is going to step in and say, listen, if you can't compel this guy to be actually assigned, then 
we're going to force you to accept him back on your roster. Well, could That's, they, Could they, in theory, you know, Cleary refuses to report. The Red Wings suspend him with pay. Is there anything, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, I personally don't know, in the CBA that says they can't do that? Um, it would depend on what the league considers. Like, if he is considered not assigned, and I would assume that suspended with pay, uh, essentially for refusing an assignment would probably put his contract back on the books um it's all kind of not incredibly well defined by the cba about that like there's nothing that specifically says what happens if a guy just refuses to his assignment um but as far as we're talking about the spirit of the cba and all that that crap i don't know because it's really hard to trust the nhl gives a crap about the spirit of the cba anymore um but i would think that if they decide to suspend him with pay that the league would look at that as a situation where his uh, $950,000 would be on the cap for that so we're really come ultimately going to come down to is either he reports to grand rapids or he would be he well he reports to grand rapids and plays he retires like he should have done fucking before the season started never should have gotten a contract or he is suspended without pay type deal right right i will accept that it is possible that i am wrong about this um hopefully you don't ever have hopefully we don't ever have to find out about that hopefully the guy just retires and takes the front office job to be the good locker room presence that he is yeah, at this point, the Red Wings have handled this. I mean, outside of giving him the actual contract, which was um, I mean, a mistake, but you know, whatever that was. Since then, they've really handled this as best as they could have. They gave him a, a contract that was for one year and for the amount that you can be in the AHL and not you know have to carry forward as, as any sort of cap hit in, at the NHL level. Um, they gave him an opportunity to win a spot. I mean, they played him in preseason games, went to camp. Um, you know, he just he just very clearly wasn't one of the 12 or even 15 best forwards on the team. They put him through waivers like they were supposed to. He cleared waivers and they said, OK, you're going to Grand Rapids. And now he's the one who's saying, I'm not going. And I know some people have been saying that, um, how could he not see this coming? Uh, you know, what did he think was going to happen? And I agree with that to some degree. But I mean, the man is also a professional athlete. I'm, I'm sure he's got a lot of belief in himself that uh, he probably legitimately thought going into camp that he had a shot to make the team. So, you know, professional athletes, it, it is tough for them to accept that maybe their skills have diminished to the point where they're no longer able to play at the level that they're accustomed to playing at. And I think for Cleary, maybe that's just taking him a little bit longer to figure out. At this point, I think he's going to retire. That's that's my impression. And I think that the Wings will then hire him as some sort of front. They'll give him a front office job. They will give him a front office job salary, uh, you know, that's uh, in line with whatever the job they give him, whether it's a scout or whatever it is. And, you know, they'll probably just keep him on payroll forever until they make up the 950 that they were supposed to pay him. I don't know what scouts make, but that's my guess. Yeah, probably. So, I mean, they can do that. And and doing all of that would be well within the the bounds of the CBA. I mean, they wouldn't be doing anything illegal uh, or getting around. I mean, players retire all the time and take jobs in the front office and get paid by the team. And, you know, it's not cap circumvention if they pay him. If he becomes a scout and he makes a scout salary, there's no circumvention there. He's just, you know, he just he's just not good anymore. Yeah. One other option, I, I guess, I suppose could happen with that. He could sign a contract in a European league and they can assign him there um, as long as he's willing to do that. And since he makes less than the uh, and since he only makes 950, basically his entire contract would be buried there. I just don't think he could do it in North America. 
And they could also put him on unconditional waivers for mutually terminating the contract, which would make him a free agent. But as far as all this goes out, like I just want Dan Cleary to retire so that we can start the process of going back to remembering Dan Cleary fondly. It's going to take a while to get back there. I think, give me a year. I'm retired. Next year, it'll be all about the 2009 Game 7 series winner against Anaheim. And that will be what I remember Dan Cleary for. Well, it might take me a little longer to get there, but... That's because you're petty. That's 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 true. Um, I kind of want to circle back here. I mean, we talked Larkin. He's the big story. We talked about some roster moves and Cleary here. But... The Wings the Wings came out on Friday and really dominated on opening night against Toronto. Howard got the start. He got the shutout. Saturday, back-to-back, second night, on the road this time. A little bit of a struggle against the Hurricanes. Completely outshot, like, badly, badly for the beginning of the game. Mirazik, you know, he made some big saves, gave up some goals, but his save percentage was pretty good. We saw Blashill actually do some coaching. He had to mix up the lines. I just, let's, let's take rewind a little bit take friday take saturday as a whole we're excited about larkin we're excited about the 2-0 start and everything but just what what are your biggest takeaways just from the on ice from everything else we've seen from this team and I, i'm just gonna throw this at you joseph if you don't mind just because you haven't said anything in a little bit i just want to get your thoughts on, on on these first two games it's a great start for the team but just other than what we've already spoken about what's really kind of stood out to you or what have you noticed most it's a great start for the team but it's also uh, you can see not just in the results but in all but in the way they're playing that there's you're starting to see the fruits of what why we were so excited to see all these changes that we made this offseason your start you see uh what kind of dimension mike green brings to the table as an offensive defenseman from the blue line you you realize that just like when he was in washington when washington fans thought yeah he's not going to be the best defender on your team in the defensive zone but he's also not the liability that everyone else makes him out to be uh you start you see why we're so excited for dylan larkin you see why we're so excited when jeff blashell became the head coach of this team and the direction that this it's the direction it meant that this franchise was going to take with the way it was going to handle the players the way it was going to approach uh how it was going to play the game it's just it's nice to see the results obviously because you know ultimately it's always going to be about winning and win and two out of two two out of two wins four out of four points and none of the game neither of the games went to overtime to give up a loser point it's a it's basically justifying the excitement that we had going into this season graham um you know i mean the the first game was such a a dominant performance the second game the only thing that concerned me was just that they were so flat uh in the second game of the year against what i consider to be an inferior opponent i know a lot of people think carolina will be competitive but i don't think it'll be good um giving up 47 shots in one game is absolutely um a major concern because that's just that your goalie can't make 44 saves a night and and expect to sustain it but um it's the second game of the year so it's hard to really go too crazy in one direction or the other in terms of how you kind of feel about it i mean um they they really were so opposite in how those games played out and yet they're two and oh so ultimately with the carolina game i i'm going to remember that game when they play a really strong game in march and lose and people get freaked out because they didn't earn points and they're not winning games (laughs) 
and I'll just think back and think they they like we're we're two games into the season they've already stolen two points that they really they they probably didn't deserve based on the way they played so you know stuff like that balances out I I think it was I, I think that was it was a perfect storm that was a JJ pun in case you weren't pinning there um, <laughs> um, in the hurricane game for uh, you know hurricanes are playing their home opener. Every team gets fired up for that. Detroit was on the second half of a back-to-back. They just, you know, they won. That's it. They won. I'm happy. Yeah, I think it was a, a case of, I think that Carolina and Toronto are not terribly dissimilar teams as far as overall skill and overall ability to uh, uh, to hang with, with any team. Because I think that we're still in the parody hockey league where, yeah, any given night a team playing well can hang with even the best teams in the league, even if one of the best teams in the league is also playing well where in uh, some of the older days if if you had a a bad team that was playing their absolute best um you could still get a really good team that was kind of playing like garbage i remember a uh, a red wings team that came down from that came back i think they were down four to nothing from chicago, to chicago in the third period and this was before the the taves era and it was just like you just knew it was going to happen because that was such a garbage team. But even nowadays, I don't think that happens quite as often. Um, and so you see him against Toronto, and they spend half that game playing score effects derby, and it's still the Red Wings win the possession battle, even though they get up four to nothing before the game is halfway over, and then it just coasted for the last. 30 minutes of it and I that was a really good really well structured game and then yeah they come into Carolina and just like Graham said second game of back-to-back Carolina's home opener Carolina is a team that will be able to, to play games like that and I think that what was wrong with Detroit was that they were just making every decision a half a second too slow it wasn't that they were I, I guess the, I guess for the first period or, or first period and a half it did they were making a lot of mistakes without being like not being able to keep the puck on their sticks which that's super frustrating to watch but after that it was really just a game of of just kind of slowed down mental mistakes and honestly first weekend of the season the second night of the season it's not hard to see how that happens and yeah they they found a way to win peter morazic really bailed them out any night that you can get a goalie who lets in three and still has a save percentage of like 936 yeah it's a good night for your goalie Mm -hmm. uh and and just sticking on the point of good nights, Jeff Blaschel. I mean, he he kind of actually had to do some coaching there. Had to mix up the lines. Like, what did what did it say to you guys, or how did you interpret you know Blaschel making the moves when he did and how he did, and just pressing the right buttons to get the team going when clearly through two so periods or whatever it was, it wasn't working, and the rookie coach he he found a way to get him to win. So I actually want to start from the beginning of the game, and not not even but going into the game where it was assumed that I don't know about assumed, but one of the thoughts going around before the game was that maybe you take a guy like Tamu Polkanen out and put in Tomas Jerko and actually make that healthy scratch rotation a thing, but he stuck with Polkanen for at least the Carolina game and even though Polkanen was pretty hot garbage through two periods he that's when the coaching adjustments took over and eventually uh Larkin Tatar Polkanen you know Larkin was on the ice for the tying goal and Polkanen scored the tying and the uh what should have been the game winner but you know it was it's it's sort of like you know he knows when he knows when to when and how he needs to change things up. Like 
the roster decision, the lineup decision going into the night paid off by sticking with Polkanen, and then the lines decision uh, paid off by mixing them up in the third period when in-game it obviously wasn't working for two periods. I think I think I just think it was really interesting to see like that kind of interplay between like macro versus micro. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing we need to remember is that Blashill is still learning his players as well as, you know, we're learning about Blashill. So um, the big thing about it was that there was a lot of, he had a lot of familiarity with the uh, 13, I think, of the players that he coached in Grand Rapids at some point. But he hasn't been a head coach of guys like Henrik Zetterberg or Franzen or, um, you know, the other NHL players. He's integrating a couple of new players into the system. He's got a new goalie. I'm sure there's probably some hesitation on his part to just to completely change things up at the first sign of any struggle because you kind of want them just to work through it and see okay if i keep these lines together are they going to be able to kind of get through a a tough game or a performance where they're not playing very well which is what was happening but i mean it was pretty obvious partway into the third that it just those lines were just not working in that game and you know he made he made the moves that he needed to make in order to just kind of jolt the team a little bit i have no problems with him tweaking lines because I mean, on the one hand, you don't want him to change them too much. But on the other hand, maybe there's a better combination that exists with the guys that he's got because he actually has a top nine of all skilled forwards. So he should be able to kind of take them, move a guy here, move a guy there. Um, I still do not like Tatar and Nyquist together. I have not liked it. I, they don't work. I don't know why. It makes no sense. But they just they just don't. I don't know what it is. So um, I, I like the fact that he wasn't afraid to change it. I also like the fact that he didn't go crazy and do like the Mike Babcock, Joel Quenville line blender where you had Luke Lindenning centering the top line all of a sudden and you're going, what the hell happened here? Um, you know, subtle little changes. I think are are good at this point, but he's got pairings. Like you look at Zetterberg and Abdicator, those two work together. So if it's nothing with Larkin, it's probably not Larkin because he's really good. That line's been really good. And they were really good against Carolina. In fact, they were the only line doing anything. Um, but it's to see that he's comfortable taking Larkin off that line, putting him with two wingers and giving Larkin some responsibility at center while also keeping advocate Zetterberg together and giving them um, I think he gave them Nyquist didn't he yeah yeah so um, I like it I I think it's a a smart move by a guy who is still he's going to have some growing pains at the NHL level Um, it's a good start yeah there was a comment by uh, old man hockey after that um, that had mentioned apparently Darren Elliott had made a comment about it that uh, the difference to him between Blashill and Babcock in the uh, the line blender was that sometimes it felt like Bab's line changes were uh, punitive. Like, oh, you're not doing well enough. Screw it. I've got to put like Datsuk and Zetterberg back together. And that was just like his go-to move every time was just put them back together, lean on them heavily until we could get back to even where Blashill definitely feel like he can move on to a line to help things out a little bit more and who he could count on a little bit more because as far as the third period line blender went yeah Zetterberg did still have the most ice time as a forward um you know once he got uh Nyquist moved back to his wing and that was a line that I mean that is the essentially old standard line that was what was going on last year um but the next biggest line for ice time was that uh was the Larkin and and Polkanen uh and Tatar line and so that's 
I think he showed a lot of a lot of faith in them, a lot of trust in them. Um, I mean, honestly, when they were out there, when Carolina had the goalie pulled, that was the very first line that he got a chance to put out there um, was that kid line because I, I think he was trying to get Polk into the hat trick, and I thought that was a really nice touch right up until he took that penalty, and then Carolina scored a third goal. That was just totally worthless. Um, but yeah, it does feel like it's more about line tinkering and looking for chemistry than it is saying, um, you know, plant your ass on the bench. You know, you you had your chance. I gave you your two minutes to score and you didn't do that. So now you can plant your ass on the bench for the rest of the game, which is what it felt like uh, Babcock was doing a lot of times last year. Well, speaking of chemistry and, and teams that need to score a little more, uh, one team would be the Grand Rapids Griffins, who I believe they were shut out in their season opener out on the West Coast, and they are now 0-2 to start the season. Uh, they've lost, obviously, their head coach, Jeff Blaschel. Uh, Nelson is the coach down there now. Uh, but right now, we're going to send it to Michelle for her report on the Griffins and the prospects, the latest on the future Red Wings. The Griffins kicked off their 20th franchise season on the two-game road trip in California to welcome two new NHL franchises to the AHL. On Friday night, they were shut out 1-0 by the Bakersfield Condors, and on Saturday, they lost 4-2 to the San Diego Gulls. While no team wants to start off their season 0-2, it certainly isn't any reason to be concerned. Friday night against the Bakersfield Condors, the Griffins just couldn't seem to get any offense going. They started off relatively strong in the first period, got some shots on net, had a few chances, and by the time they came out for the second period, a combination of them laying back a little bit and the Condors putting the pressure on kind of tilted the ice. Through stretches of the game, the Condors laid an onslaught on the Griffins' defense and Tom McCollum and net, and that part of the team held up very well. McCollum actually had a really good game, made several big saves, including a penalty shot attempt on last year's third overall pick, Leon Dreisaitl. The team didn't play poorly, they just weren't able to get the goals in the offense that you would expect coming from a team that's so deep up front on paper. Saturday night's game against the Gulls was pretty up and down and was actually overshadowed by the fact that there was fog so thick on the ice at times that the referees weren't sure if it was safe to continue playing. It had been very warm outside, the ice conditions were terrible, and the longer the game went on, the more fog there was. By the end of the game, I honestly don't know how we could have expected Jared Coro to make stops on pucks that he may not even have been able to see. The Griffins once again in that game had a strong first period. They came out with a lot to jump, they were putting shots on net, getting scoring chances, they looked really good. In the second period, they came out a little more flat, and the Gulls kind of laid an onslaught on. The ice was tipped in their favor, it seemed like all of the play was in the Griffin zone, and the Griffins just kind of looked off and discombobulated. The Gulls ended up out shooting the Griffins 17-6 in the second period, and while the Griffins made a valiant effort to try and come back in the third period, scoring a couple goals and making it a close game, the Gulls were eventually able to get the 4-2 win and had one empty net goal. There's been a lot of discussion about the goaltending situation in Grand Rapids this year, with Tom McCollum coming back and Jared Coro taking another step forward in his career. If you look at these two games, on the surface, you might look at McCollum versus Coro in their performance and try and gauge which one is better, which one is more suitable to be the starter. However, it's really difficult to make any judgments on Coro based on his game because, as I said, the fog on the ice was so thick that it must have been difficult for him to even be able to see or track the puck. In my player impressions post that I wrote about that game, there are some pictures in there that you should go take a look at, some screen caps from the game so you can get an idea of just how foggy it really was. 
At one point, the referees called down the AHL president and had him come down and talk with them to see if it was even safe to continue the game. Losing the first two games of the season is a bit disappointing, but it's also not anything to be concerned about. Last year, the Griffins struggled out of the gate as well, getting shut out at home in their first game of the season and then losing seven of their ten first games. It was very similar to the struggles that they're having right now. They have a lot of offensive players up front that you would think could put the puck in the net at will, yet it just isn't coming. And I think a lot of that is players adjusting to the new coach, the new coaching style, the new systems, and kind of getting a feel for each other as well. There are a lot of returning players as well as a few new additions, and just playing on lines with different people and getting back into the swing of things may take them a little bit of time. The offense will definitely come with the roster that the Griffins have, and it's been very encouraging to see how the defense and the goaltending have looked so far this season. One of the most noticeable differences in coaching style between Todd Nelson and Jeff Blashill is that Nelson has a philosophy that he wants a tough guy. He wants tough guys on the team, preferably one on each line if his trend continues. And what he said is that he doesn't want his players to be hearing footsteps behind them. He doesn't want them to be concerned that they're going to get run or taken advantage of. While I understand the philosophy and I can appreciate it to a certain extent, I'm also a little bit concerned that he may be going too far in that direction, at least for my taste. We'll see as the season goes on, but I definitely don't want to see Wings prospects or skilled players not getting playing time because we need to have a tough guy on the line or a couple of tough guys in the lineup whose primary function is to be a face puncher or an enforcer. I definitely don't want to see that. So well, I'll be keeping an eye on that in the future to see uh, how Nelson handles that. As far as players go, probably the most impressive player to me through these two games has been Anthony Mantha. Watching him in the first game, it looked like he continued right where he left off in training camp. He was skating, he was staying engaged and really getting in the play, not staying on the outside. And he was playing with confidence. He was using his size. He's, he's a big boy and he was using his size to muscle people off the puck, to get in front of people and do the one-handed thing you know that Zetterberg does to protect the puck. He was playing fantastic. Uh, He looks quicker. Again, confidence is a big thing for him. We know that he has the skills, but with the increased confidence, and I think the experience of the preseason was huge for him too. This was the first year that he was able to participate in training camp and the preseason because of the broken leg last year. And I think that that experience, along with actually playing in preseason games, is going to be huge for him. I think that this season he's going to uh, kind of have a breakout season, if you will, in the AHL. And I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw with Yurko in the AHL is it took him a little bit of time to get used to it but things are starting to click now and I think that they're clicking they're going to click faster and we're going to see possibly a dominant Mantha in the AHL this year so he was the first player that really stuck out to me as wow this is the Mantha that I've been waiting to see Xavier Willette was cut from the Red Wings roster Friday afternoon and then assigned to the Griffins who were already in California so he got sent down was flown to California and played in both of the games I give him a lot of credit for how he's handling this and he played very well. The defense was good in both of the games, really, and the defense that the Griffins have is is pretty deep. Uh, you've got Willette and Jensen on different pairings, but they both played very well, and it's a lot of fun to watch them back there because you essentially have guys that are ready to be playing in the NHL, but they're in the AHL. Um, to watch them defensively, watch them move the puck, it's really cool to have such an experienced, deep defense. The BAM line, the Bertuzzi-Athanasiu-Mantha line, 
one of my favorite lines to watch. They were great in the preseason. They've played together a lot before. Uh, they were broken up in the first game for Grand Rapids. Uh, Mitch Callahan was put with Athanasiu and Mantha, and Bertuzzi was moved down a line to play with uh, Mealy and Zengerly. But after one game, that line was reunited. We got the BAM line back again. Uh, they were very good. Even though they didn't score a ton of goals, um, none of those players actually scored a goal, they still played really well. They were getting scoring chance after scoring chance. They played with energy and intensity. I don't know what more to say about Athanasiu other than he was exactly what we've come to expect from him. Uh, he was using his speed and his creativity and his smarts he was getting breakaway scoring chances and shorthanded scoring chances and drawing penalties. I'm starting to run out of ways to praise this kid, but in the first two games so far back in Grand Rapids, he's been exactly what we've come to expect from him. One of the other players that stood out to me was Tomasz Nosek. He's a player that I really enjoy watching and I'm excited about because I think he has a lot of potential um, and is really close to being ready for the NHL. Because of the depth that the Griffins have, Nozek is actually on the third line. Uh, he's centering the third line with Mealy on the first and Athanasiu on the second or flip those lines, it doesn't really matter. Um, one of the things that's notable about Noshek being the third line center is that his quality of line mates has decreased from what he was used to seeing last season. Being paired with guys like Tangrady or Ferk or Callahan or Hogan, you know, those are, it's not the same as being paired with a guy like Timu Polkinen. But he still makes that line work. And one of the things that's awesome about Noshek is it doesn't matter what players he's with, he makes that line better, he makes them better, he's still drives offense. And maybe that's part of why Nelson has him on the third line instead of bumping somebody like Lily down. Uh, Nosek had a very good second game. He had numerous scoring chances and he was also very good uh, setting up Martin Furk, who is starting the season with Grand Rapids and he's actually had a really good couple of games. Um, he's on the power play. He's put in Timu Polkinen's sweet spot on the power play point um, and he's been ripping shots off. Through these games, there really wasn't anybody that had bad games or stood out as terrible. Um, the biggest overall picture that I get so far is just that there's a lot of adjustment that these players are trying to make and go through and it's probably going to take them a few games to start getting it. Uh, the offense hasn't started coming yet but it will. Just like last year I think it's going to be slow in the beginning and they start getting going but once they get rolling man the offense just came last year. Goals and goals and goals and I think we're going to see a lot of that this year once the team really gets going. Meanwhile, in non-Griffins prospects news, Vili Sarajarvi and Flint continues to impress. He now has 11 points, all assists, in eight games. He's on a four-game point streak, and he's only failed to register a point in one of his eight games. Sunday night, he had three assists and was named the third star in the game. He's currently fifth in OHL scoring, leads the OHL in assists, is tied for first in power play assists, leads Flint in points and plus-minus, and he's 23 third in the entire OHL in shots, but fourth among OHL D-men. He's taken 27 shots in eight games. This kid is so much fun to watch, and when he's out there on the ice, you watch him in power play situations, even strength. Uh, I believe he's getting penalty kill as well, and he's always calm, cool, and collected, and it doesn't matter where he's at, but in the zone. A lot of fun to watch this kid. I think it's very possible that he could end up being in the top 10 in OHL scoring at the end of the year, and certainly tops among defensemen in scoring. Evgeny Svechnikov served his two-game suspension after laying a 
four hit. In his first game back, he actually got hit in the second period, went down, and looked like he was hurt and left the ice, but he did come back for the third period. In two games since coming back from suspension, he's failed to register a point. The more I watch games in, in the queue, the more I wish that he was playing in any other league. Even the OHL would be better. The queue is such a reckless, immature league. You watch the kids that are playing, and they make bad decisions, they make bad hits. Like, it's it's crazy. I'm surprised that more kids aren't hurt in that league and you can be really good you can be dominant in the queue and not really have a clue about what the quote-unquote real hockey world is like I mean we've seen it with guys like Mantha coming out of there where he dominated that league and still had so much to learn before getting to the AHL the more I watch Svechnikov in that league the more I wish that he was playing in any other league just from a developmental standpoint because I don't think that I think he's quickly going to get to the point where he kind of stops learning in that league and then starts to stagnate and maybe form some bad habits, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. In the WHL, Joe Hicketts is on more than a point-per-game pace. He has nine points, all assists, in eight games. He leads his team in points, and he's seventh in the Western Hockey League in points, sixth in Western Hockey League defenseman scoring. So he's right up there in scoring as well. And again, like Sarge Arby, he hasn't registered a goal yet, but he's getting some shots, and certainly defenseman racking up assists is not a bad thing at all. Center Dominic Turgeon hasn't put up flashy numbers in his career. He's been primarily used in a defensive shutdown center role, but this year he's really trying to break out and prove to the Red Wings that he has more offense to offer. Sunday night he scored his first goal of the season on the power play in his fifth game. Nominated as third star of the game, came out to sign the jersey of a young fan. What really impressed me more than the goal watching this game was, first of all, how much time he was on the ice. Watching the game, I felt like he barely left. He was out there in every game situation, power play, penalty kill, even strength. It didn't matter. He was out there. At one point, he was out at even strength, drew a penalty, stayed out there on the power play. He was out on the penalty kill. The broadcasters were calling his name all night, and I really felt like he he hardly ever left. He was always always out there. It was always Turgeon this, Turgeon that. He also picked up a two-minute minor for checking to the head, which is kind of a goofy call because Kolasar had lost an edge and was falling down, and it just happened to be that Turgeon was skating by, not even looking at him, and it was accidental minor contact. His arm barely touched the guy in the head, but I think it looked a lot worse than it was simply because Kolasar was already falling. Defenseman James DeHaas is off to a great start for Clarkson. In two games, he has three assists. He put up one assist in his first game, two in his second game, and he's tied for second on his team in points. It's still early. It's only two games. But for a defenseman to be up there in points uh, is is a pretty good sign. He's playing on their top pairing, um, getting power play and penalty kill time. Um, In the last year or so, he's really become kind of a a go-to guy for them. Um, He's quickly becoming a veteran defenseman and another guy to definitely keep an eye on. In Europe, Christopher N. got called up to the big club for one game and registered a very nice assist before getting sent back down to his junior 20 club and racking up an assist in his first game back. We all got really excited about Axel Holmstrom after his performance last year, and so far this year he's off to a slow start compared to the standard that he set. In eight games, he has three assists. It would have been really difficult for him to live up to the standard that he set last year with his performance, but I'm hoping that he picks it up a little bit here soon and maybe gets on a, a nice scoring streak. The Wings 2015 fourth-round pick goalie Jorn Van Pottelberg is playing in Europe right now, 
um, on the Junior 20 team, and I've been pleasantly surprised that he's playing quite a few games. He's played in six of his team's eight games so far. Uh, he has a .901 save percentage and a 2.32 goals against average. He's currently the fourth-ranked goalie in his league. Julius Vatalo is back with the TPS Big Club after being loaned out to the TPS U20 team for three games. In those three games that he was down, he had six points and was getting about 22 minutes per game. Back up with the Big Club, he's getting between eight and 10 minutes per game. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. All right, well, thank you, Michelle, for that lovely prospects and Griffins report. As usual, Michelle is our resident prospect and Griffins expert, I would say. Now we're going to toss it over to our question extraordinaire. JJ, I know you have some reader questions for us that you're going to throw our way. Yeah, my favorite part of, of every episode of the reader questions. They always hit us with some good stuff. Uh, we're going to do this uh, rapid fire like always. So let's just start off with question number one by uh, Shablong. Um that's a dirty name, isn't it? Uh, when Helm comes back this week, how can we expect to see the lineup shaken? Uh, does Anderson clear waivers on the fourth line with Glenn? Uh, shit, nope. Never mind. We already answered that question, right? Yes, Anderson clears waivers and Helm's on the fourth line. Yep. Question okay. number one, um, take two. <laughs> <laughs> T and kicker death. Uh, seriously, answer the question. How good of a chance do you think Larkin's got in the Calder race? I I like that in the question it, with preseason hype guys like McDavid and Hannafin and completely <laughs> overlooked Eichel who is at least from style points is probably going to get the early preseason I think if Larkin if Larkin just looks the way he has through the first two games he'll be in the conversation I ultimately think it's still going to come down to McDavid or Eichel um, but I, I think this year's crop of rookies is is pretty darn good he'll be he'll be in the conversation if he sticks with the Red Wings all season, which I have no reason to think he won't, I think he's the third finalist. He will stick with the Red Wings all season. The question is whether he sticks with a Zetterberg and or a Datsuk all season long. If he does, he is the best. He has a great chance because he's playing with the best players, but ultimately it's McDavid's trophy to lose. Yeah, I think playing with Zetterberg or Datsuk all season is going to hurt his chances. Because it's always going to be looked like, oh, they helped carry him. He had advantages that... that but if he puts up the numbers, have. numbers never lie, right? Yeah, obviously he's going to have to put up numbers, and, and that's what's... He's going to ultimately lose it to some meathead worthless defenseman who's going to go on to suck for the rest of his career uh, in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can top that answer. <laughs> All right, um... RC Eddie, since the power play is one for five, a terrible 20%. Uh, when do Polkin and Larkin get some power play time? Not counting the late power play time that Larkin got in garbage time. Uh, the real answer is when does Smith get power play time? Never. Next question. It's garbage. 20% yeah. is a good power play. You've got Cronwall Green, who you brought in specifically for the power play. Why would you put Smith out there? Even DeKaiser was pretty good last year. Shut up, Cram. No. And Kendall's got a better shot than Smith. Yeah. Shut up, AJ. Hey. Yeah. It's true. Smith on the power play because there's two seconds left on it and there's a, a face-off. Guys, let's be honest. I was being sarcastic. We all know that. Uh, no, Polkanet needs to, to just Smith. rip those one-timers in the slot a la Brett Hall and let's jack that up to a 30% power play call it a day. If you need I a think- defenseman to slide down from the point and like get into a really good shooting position to put it in the chest, that's what you, had, that's what you call on for Brendan Smith to do. I don't even know if we can count on him to do that. If you want a goal, though, you keep a good player out there. Hmm. Next up, rapid fire. Pavel's Babbles, three on three overtime. Opinions thus far? I don't know. I haven't seen any of it, literally. I have not watched a single one of three and three. I watched Philly Tampa, and it was absolutely like 
it was adrenaline pumping and I didn't have a team, but it was just, it was, and it was pond hockey. If you are a true purist of the game, you probably won't like it. I thought it was amazing. I like it better than a shootout. I still think, look, the funny thing to me is three versus three is still a gimmicky way to end the game, but it feels more closer to what actually playing throughout the, the whole game than a shootout. So the irony was there was a penalty shot in the three on three and it almost ended the game. And I thought, how amazing would it be if the first ever regular season three versus three overtime game ended on a penalty shot in the overtime, which is the yeah, that been awesome. shootout move. It would have been amazing. But Jason Garrison scored on a breakaway. There were, I think they only played two minutes and there were at least four or five odd man rushes it was just end to end to end to end, and it was it was amazing. I, I I'm dreading the first time the Red Wings are in it because I'm going to be a mess. Yeah, the uh, the Tampa and Philly overtime period was a Jason Statham movie with a heroin needle sticking out of your penis. That was an exciting <laughs> game. Um, Ottawa Toronto was more like a Jason Bourne movie uh, after having taken a bit too much Adderall. It wasn't as good, but it was still uh, pretty exciting. Um, and then, of course, they went to a shootout because why the hell not? But yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay, MC Dangles uh, wants to know your core Pokemon. Everyone take a side and elaborate. Oh, he's Yurko, bigger. he's bigger. Polkanen, he'll probably score more goals and not have a shooting percentage of 3%. God. Yurko, have you seen his YouTube videos? <laughs> no, 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 no. There is no God. You take either Yurko or Polkanen. <laughs> God is cheating. What do you think, Graham? Um, I go Polkanen just because I love a good slap shot. You're wrong. Yeah, from the guy who's who's been on in on Brendan Smith from the beginning. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna. Hey, at least I'm have, at least take I'm my loyal. chances here. Flipping <laughs> all and loyal. Damn it. <laughs> Yurko is a. I think Yurko is a better all around player, a better two way player. Um, but Yurko does not excite me when he uh, he goes for a slap shot, and that is the difference. Uh, I take Polkanen. Fuck you guys. Next question. Man, I'm getting there. Uh, do you think Pavel and Helm are going to be uh, together when when they come back? Or what else do you think the lines are going to look like? Hell no. Helm will be buried on the fourth line where he should be, and Pavel will be in a top six role. I, I'm i looking at the lines that uh, Roy 111 has, and I, I don't I don't think Zetterberg and Datsik will be together. I think they'll get split up. So I think that... Uh, I think Zetterberg and Abdelkader are sticking together. Um, I think Datsik... Datsuk Franzen always seemed to work fairly well. So I could see those two going together. Uh, a Datsuk Tatar Franzen line would be good. Um, stick with Zetterberg, Abdulkader Larkin, uh, Richards, Nyquist, and Polkinen, and then Shan Helm, and who am I missing? Glendening, Yurko, Miller. No, Yurko. I, I, see, that's me. I would go four lines of skill and just be like, here, beat us. That's what I would do. That's what it should be. Uh, Dave Grot 87 wants uh, Graham to, to go a little bit more about not liking Goose and Tots, uh, or maybe uh, Joe can take that. Um, it always On paper, it always seems that they, when they're paired together, the line should be absolute dominant. However, that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, he thinks that they're too similar, so they don't play to their abilities. Are they going to stick together? Do you want them to stick together? What do you think, Joe? Well, hmm. I think that whenever you have a line that has Tatar or Nyquist on it, you kind of expect 
both of them to be the shooter on that line, especially since they led the Red Wings in goals the past couple seasons. So when you put the both of them together, there's only one puck, and it just doesn't. Yeah, I'm not. It it is kind of baffling that they just that they don't seem to play well together. Not necessarily. You know, you can have a certain combination of four, uh, players, and they'll just not produce, but they can still play well together. But yeah, uh, it's I'm just as baffled as the rest of everybody else is. I think I stick with them. I, I keep them together. I do like the way they play. Uh, it's been two games, and they've been playing against a fairly high-level competition. Uh, I don't think that they're too, too similar. I think Tots is more of a grinder, uh, where I think um, Nyquist is more of a playmaker, and that works out. I, I think that they're going to find that timing. It's just, you know, you know, Tatar goes through these stages where he, he tries to puck handle too much, and that ends up costing him, and... Sometimes Nyquist does the same thing, and I think they're both doing that right now. But I think if you stick through it and have patience, they will both come out of it at the same time, and that line will be absolutely unstoppable. Mm. Simultaneous Nyquist and Tatar. With Dylan Larkin. Oh, swing. Okay, the one thing we did not talk about in depth, but Wingnut brings up... um, Obviously, Howard got a shutout. Mrazic basically helped the team steal three or two points against Carolina. Um, which one impressed you most in, in his start? If oh. we're talking about impressed me most in, the, in his first start, you know, Howard played well and he got the shutout, but he the bigger workload will always look more impressive. Yeah, I agree. Mrazic probably made bigger, flashier saves that I remember more. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm quite frankly at the point with the goaltending tandem is that they each bring something to the table. The team's going to play well in front of them. You just keep alternating them until someone grabs the bull by the nutsack and runs with it. Uh, hmm. and, and until then, I, I think, you know, you, uh, they're both good goaltenders, and let's just ride them out until someone really starts to fuck up. Yeah, like Mrazek was was more impressive in that you just saw just the sheer volume of saves that he was making. Um, it's but it's hard to argue with a shutout. I mean, even though he didn't face as many shots and he got a little bit of run support early, um, Howard still pitched a shutout. Mrazek didn't. So. Well, I mean, Mrazek faced as many shots in the first period as Howard did all game. Right, but Howard stopped them all over a whole game. It's, it's, I think I'll just sit on the fence entirely and Mrazic's performance was more necessary for getting the two points Howard could have let one or two in and the Red Wings still would have won so Mrazic's was more necessary Howard's is more impressive because uh, 1,000 save percentages are always more impressive than, than high save percentages where you still allow goals two my, points is two points so I'm happy with both of them yeah my last thought is I think if you switch it I don't know. I'm 100% comfortable in saying the Wings get a win in Carolina with that performance with Howard in that. Oh, I don't think they do. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. Because some of because basically one of the big things about Howard is is his rebound control, and I thought that one of the main reasons that Mrazek was able to to deal with a lot of the barrage was he was really good controlling the rebounds. Uh, I'm not so sure. I agree that much. I think. Mrazek did put some rebounds in good places, but there were still some pucks that just were luckily away from Carolina players, but still in dangerous areas. They did have a number of them where I can't believe the puck stayed out because they just like shot it wide. But you're wrong, I'm right. So, Okay, uh, Graham touched on this earlier, but Acadian 16, uh, let's go a little bit more in-depth. 
did we get a top three to five pick at 15 at a Larkin? Um, I've got the 2014 draft right now up. Aaron Eckblad went number one. Sam Reinhardt was number two. Leon Drysado was three. Sam Bennett was four. Michael Del Cole was five. Jake Furtonen was sixth. Um, yeah, I think that you could clearly, if we redrafted, is there any way that Dylan Larkin falls as low as five in that group? No, he absolutely goes top five. Yeah, easily. Eckblad still goes one. Yep. I yep. don't think that's, there's no change there, but. Posternock's up there probably. Yeah, Fabry might go up there him. too, although he's out now. But uh, it's funny. Uh, I know this isn't quite related, but Josh Hosang, I wonder how far he would drop now. Yeah, given his <laughs> uh, his issue. But no, I, I I don't see. I'm looking at the list. I don't see anybody in the first round that I would say outside of Ekblad that I would say without question I would take over Larkin. Maybe Sam Bennett. He would be he would be like like right around that same. But even then, I would put the two of them probably behind Ekblad. Yeah, I think at, at take Ekblad over over Larkin because he's the defenseman. You get that cornerstone guy that can he's, eat all those minutes and just be really fucking solid. But Ekblad's just more than solid. I think it's a lot harder. Yeah, I think it's harder to find a player of Ekblad's quality ever than it is to find a player like Larkin. So yeah, he's definitely top five. Yeah, Maybe top three. Nylander's in there too. Yeah. Um, our sizzle wants to know, is there any way we can become cap compliant if we are all healthy without a trade? Assuming we wave Anderson when Helm returns? Well, you're waving Anderson and you're waving Ferraro in theory because Datsuk's back as well. Right, yeah, when Datsuk comes back, basically what the Red Wings have is they need to clear about $1.1 million in cap space. Although that might be different. I might have done the math wrong. I'll be honest. Um, I have no yeah. idea. I got to look at a, a cap website. The real quick answer is to become cap compliant without a trade. Uh, yes, is you have an injury where you get to put somebody else on long-term injury reserve. But um, isn't the question that assuming we're all healthy? I think you have to make, I think that's the yeah. question, right? Because I mean, everybody under, I think we understand if, uh, Franz and suddenly develops concussion symptoms and goes on injured reserve right around the time Datsu comes back. It's probably going to solve a lot of problems cap wise that they may have. Okay. So everybody's healthy, One. no trade. Um, the only way to come become cap compliant is somebody gets abducted. So we'll trade Quincy to Buffalo. Yeah, there you go. Or Edmonton. Trade Smith, trade Smith to Buffalo. Well, if there's no, it just said no trade, but that doesn't mean you can't oh, do yeah. something like put Quincy on waivers. Yeah, but how much is his salary? You can only bury. Yeah, you're only burying nine fifty. So if no one claims him, you're fine. Oh no, no, no. I was uh, that was under the assumption he was going to get claimed. Gotcha. Oh yeah, no, he wouldn't get claimed though. Not at that salary, I don't think. Um, Acharya, our resident uh, Red Wings fan, she knows better. Uh, do you see similarities in coaching style between Blashill and Tampa's John Cooper? I mean, that's the easy comparison that I've heard a billion times just because they're both AHL coaches. They won championships or whatever and transitioned to the big big club. So, I mean, we'll see. I think the verdict's still out. Plus, John Cooper is known as a player <laughs> yeah. coach, and I think that they're both kind of a little bit more aggressive with their defense. Um, I kind of hope not because John Cooper, between his trip to the uh, Stanley Cup final and this October, that guy aged 15 years. I mean, his face got way, way old. Yeah, but Blashell already lost all his hair pretty much, right? Well, yeah, so he doesn't that's lose really, hair. So that's, a, that's what the cool losing, kids are doing these days. Losing yeah, hair doesn't then, make you I'm, look old. I'm right there and with as you. He get, as he gets older, he doesn't look like he's getting older. Yeah, Graham doesn't look a day over 40. Yeah, thank you. Looks like Matt Shaw. Not. Too, so good. <laughs> 
Uh, let's see. Size up the Atlantic Division now that the season has started. Same as we thought before. Detroit, Montreal, Tampa, top three teams. Mm-hmm. Figure out the order as we go. Everybody else fighting for the wild card. Florida, uh, they had a nice win the other day, though. It was like 7-1, to one, right? Yeah, Florida's going to be the, the interesting team out of all that because I think because they lost their last, their second game. They got shut out by Philly. So they d- destroyed Philly and then lost Philly. So, um, yeah, I mean, Boston... Boston, Toronto are and Buffalo are they're going Boston garbage. Um, Ottawa is they're not good. It's really the top three with Florida kind of knocking on the door of of kind of trying to crack that top three. Okay, and finally, Grinder Seven says think big and long. Um, Done. Yeah, it's every day mm-hmm. of my life, Grinder. Think big. Okay, no, seriously, he uh, he wants us to trade Gustav Nyquist because he thinks Polkinen can do everything Nyquist can do, and apparently the return for Nyquist will be good. Although there's not, although thankfully there, there's not like a, a EA Sports trade in here. It's just get rid of Nyquist for some reason. Uh, my answer to that is no. But what do you guys think? Uh, you should get at least a first round pick for him, and maybe a mid level prospect. Maybe that's too little to ask. There's a bit too much collateral damage considering you just signed him to a long-term extension this offseason. But then he's under contract for whomever you trade him to. Like, if you trade him to some shitty team that he wouldn't want to play for if he was a free agent. I, you basically pulled I what it, the Sharks did to Setaguchi. And I, don't, do, don't do what the Sharks do. I don't know what trading Nyquist does for the team. I mean, I, to me, you're only trading Nyquist if you're bringing in a defenseman. And we're talking a top tier top pairing defenseman otherwise Oliver trading larson Ooh, what's he what <laughs> we're gonna trade nyquist for all of nightman larson yeah well more than, than just nyquist right. we'll throw in we'll throw in nyquist and quincy and kindle and uh, you know smith all the other third. garbage and smith and the and third and all pick. the other all the other garbage that we don't want and well, we'll throw Quist, that'll sweeten the deal for arizona oh god but yeah, I, I i mean if you're trading I, nyquist for a first round pick and mid-level prospects you're a team that it's, you're considering yourself to be on the rise. Why would you trade a guy like Nyquist for nothing, essentially? That, nothing yeah, that's that going to help you short term. Right no, you're, t- you're in the short term and longer term. And when I say longer term, I mean three to four years. You're making the team worse. So don't trade Nyquist. Not for that. Yeah. Trading trading Nyquist and doing something like trading Nyquist and putting a guy like Polkanen up in the lineup in theoretically in Nyquist's spot is something that the Edmonton Oilers would do. You, when you trade when you're trading for plays, players, ideally you're going to trade so that way you get a guy that's going to put your players further down in the depth chart so they can play against lower competition uh, so they can play against lower level competition and still dominate and that's how you basically increase the depth of your team. Yep, I think we're all in agreement here. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen. So, since that was the last question, do you have any final hockey related thoughts before we say goodbye? Predictions? Yeah, predictions are stupid. It's so fucking early. For this week. For yeah. this week. Ah. <laughs> Let me say, hold on. It's too early to predict this week. All right. You're lucky I have the schedule open. Tampa on Tuesday, Carolina at home on Friday, Montreal on the road on Saturday. How do the wings do this week, gentlemen? I'm going to say, yeah, we go 2 0 oh, 1. We're going to get our first 3 on 3 overtime loss uh, to Montreal. I think they I think they beat Tampa like a revenge thing 
I think they beat Carolina, and I think they're. I think Price stands on his head, and uh, Montreal wins two to one. I think we beat Tampa. I think we lose to Carolina, and I think we beat Montreal despite Carey Price getting a cheap goalie interference call that takes away a goal. Three and zero, bitches. Hashtag positivity. <laughs> now that those incredibly important predictions are out of the way, do you have colon any- thumbs up, close colon. Do you, <laughs> do you have any final hockey-related thoughts? Not everybody speak at once. All right, Kyle. Yeah. Great. My final hockey-related thought is, fuck yeah, Dylan Larkin. So, for JJ and Graham and Joseph, hi, Kyle. Uh, this has been Winging It Motown Radio. See you next week. Bye. Winging It. I'm Winging It Motown. <laughs> You guys are the worst. Winging it. 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 Winging it.